0: powerful question and if you could answer that question it would allow you to be able to experience I think what God is wanting to give to you if only you'll believe and and trust him and take him at his word but here's the wonderful thing about that is that God is trustworthy he's believable he's dependable and so you're not uh, losing anything to put all of your trust In Him. Hebrews chapter number 10, and we'll dismiss our children this morning as they head to their children's ministry. We're continuing in this uh, healthy and holy habits and disciplines, spiritual disciplines that can really change our life. And that's what we're looking for, and that's what we want to accomplish. And we're looking at this first one this morning to be the aspect of weekly habit of attending church. This Weekly Habit of Church Attendance, Attending Weekly Worship, Why We Need Church. Um, just want to give us right at the beginning here what we're talking about when we mention this weekly worship and the spiritual habit of weekly worship. And we'll get to our text later. But this spiritual habit of weekly worship is your in-person presence at the worship service of the local body of believers where you belong as a member. It is your in-person presence at the worship service of the local body of believers where you belong as a member. Now, there are all kinds of excuses. I think I've heard most Of the excuses. I'm sure there are still some excuses that I've yet to hear, but most of them I think I'm familiar with as to why people can't be faithful and put into their life a spiritual habit and discipline. Some have said, Well, you don't need to attend church to be a good Christian. Heard that one? We give our family priority when we miss church to do sports on Sunday. My church really doesn't meet my needs. I'm not getting fed at my church. Well, Sunday is really the only day I have off. My church has a bunch of hypocrites. I've I've heard these excuses quite often. I also heard about a young man who didn't want to go to church. He was speaking to his mother about it, and she said, son... You used to love to go to church. Why don't you want to go? And he said, well, basically three reasons. Number one, nobody likes me at church anymore. Number two, nobody speaks to me at church. And number three, I have no friends at church any longer. I'm just not going back. And the mother said, son, I'm going to give you three reasons why you should go to church. Number one, because you promised me as a boy you would always go to church and you need to keep your promise. Number two, others are looking at you. You need to set an example by going to church. And number three, you have to go. You're the pastor. <laughs> we remove names to protect the guilty. When we talk about membership of a church, what, we're, what that really means is the church body says to an individual, we recognize that you are your profession of faith, your salvation, your baptism, and discipleship, we're recognizing that as valid. Therefore, we're publicly affirming you before the nations that you belong to Jesus Christ. And so we will extend to you the oversight of our fellowship. And that's what we mean when we talk about membership. Now, in membership, it's principally the same thing for the individual that says to the church, insofar as I recognize this church as a faithful body, declaring this church, I submit my presence and my discipleship to your love and oversight. That's membership. Now, it's true that a Christian must choose to join a church. But that really doesn't make church to be a voluntary organization. It's not. It's not like the, the Boy Scouts Club and the Kiwanis and, and whatever else. It, it's, not, it's not a voluntary organization. Because if you've chosen Christ, a Christian has no choice but to submit itself to that which is the body of Christ and which is under the head of Christ. See, the spiritual habit of weekly worship is your in-person presence at the worship service of the local body of believers where you belong as a member. Now, there will be times you're going to miss or you can't get there. That's why we have provided ways to watch online and stay connected. But the regular habit that will form as disciples is our belonging to a local church and being there to worship each week. It's not the same you just sitting there and attending. It's not the same. It is not the same to, to want the benefits of the church and the church family and the Lord, but not belong. That's not in the Bible as normal discipleship. It's been the norm, however, for the people of God throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament to set aside a day of worship. In the Old Testament, Israel met on Saturdays in observance to the Sabbath, whereas in the New Testament, churches meet on Sundays in remembrance of Christ's resurrection. But the larger principle was the same. Old Testament, New Testament, the people of God would assemble together to worship the Lord on a weekly basis. And you get to the book of Acts and you find out they met daily. But it never diminished the fact that there was a significance about the Sunday, the first day of the week, in lieu of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that has been made special from the time Jesus came out of the grave to the meeting of the apostles and the establishing of the church to meet on Sunday, the Lord's Day. In fact, our Canaan Baptist Church Articles of Faith You'd find um, the section, it, our articles number two, um, and uh, it's, I think it's letter I and point number maybe six. Does it say on there? You missed the address. Uh, but it, but it, here's what it says if you go to it. If you remember that much, you can get to it. And we are simply describing the Lord's day, and I'm, I'm not going to read it, but it's there. Where do we get it from? Well, I want you to know our Constitution is not our authority the bible's the authority but the constitution is some ways in which which we are answering some questions people might have without saying well here you just go find it And we can at least point to it and answer some basic questions. And it also, the Constitution can help provide us, as well as the bylaws, some specifics when it comes to legalities. But ultimately, what we're taking is concerning the Lord's Day comes right out of the Bible, as I've mentioned. And we're going to get to the Bible aspect in a moment. But the first day of the week is the Lord's Day. And it's an essential it's, an, it's a vital part of our faith and practice. You know, we learn early on in the church's life, in Acts, the book of Acts, in chapter 2, and verse 42 specifically, what church and worship gatherings look like. Acts 2 and verse 42, we looked at it last week, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. You see, the church, they read the scriptures together and they prayed together. Now, those are things that we should do on our own, should we not? Yeah, but where do we learn those? We learn those first in a community with others in an assembled team called the church. And that's what we find in the book of Acts. They were doing this in a group, and and the group aspect of learning this ought to help us as individuals. And as we practice this individually, it ought to contribute to the group setting. See, our personal relationship that each church member has with Christ, out of it flows the corporate relationship that we also have with each other in Christ. It says they prayed together. They learned about Christ together. They ate together. They fellowshiped with one another. This is also the church setting. The assembled setting is where they learned about the two very important church ordinances. The Lord's Supper and baptism. This is what Christian community did each week when they met together on the Lord's day. You know, at Canaan Baptist Church, we try to embody the same dynamic each week. We do it in a couple ways. One by having a shoulder-to-shoulder element and a face-to-face element. At 915, we had our face-to-face element, what we call our Bible study or our Sunday school time. And this is where we dig into God's Word and discuss its implications for our lives. And we pray for each other. And we enjoy a time of fellowship together in smaller groups based upon age and life stage than at 1030. And then at five o'clock this afternoon is where we are shoulder to shoulder. We're singing praises to the Lord together. We hear from God's word through preaching, which then culminates in a time of decision in the invitation together as a congregation of disciples who have committed to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. See, faithful attendance, it honors Christ And it builds up his church. Whereas non-attendance, non-faithful attendance, it moves the other direction. It makes light of Jesus' name. And it harms his church in many ways and for many reasons. I want Brother Cherry, if you can have it, to put up a picture up there. Let's see if we recognize this picture. You see it? And I want you to tell me who you think this is. Well, we got the name on there. (laughs) Did you have to have the name to know who it is? I don't think he ever used a coma day in his life. And we all know, oh, that's that's old uh, Albert. Let me give you another one and see if you recognize him. His name is Michael Faraday. How many recognize? You wouldn't have known unless I told you the name. You probably would have recognized the picture. Do you have this picture on your nightstand, Chris? No. Yeah, I mean, you 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 would be in the realm in which you would um, benefit from him. Michael Faraday is a very interesting fellow, not nearly as well known as uh, Albert Einstein. He was born in 1791 in England. He died at the age of 75. He ranked among the foremost English chemist, and physicist. He discovered the electrical and magnetic entities, and which made possible the electric generator and electric motor, which we simply take as commonplace in our world today. He gave the first clue to the existence of electrons and made possible many industrial processes. And the list of his, uh, his accomplishments go on and on, and I don't have time to read them, nor can I pronounce a lot of it. But Faraday is known to give us, really be the the father of giving us electricity. That's why I said Chris and um, Brother Osmond would benefit from from this, this gentleman because of their line of business. But he also became a very accomplished public speaker, and it said that he could hold congregations of all ages and classes spellbound from children in school to scientific giants to the uh, uh, to the uh, uh, aristotic crowd of England. One story that I read, which really amazes me, is that on one occasion when the great inventor, Michael Faraday, expounded the mysteries of the magnet, he brought the house down. Now, I can't imagine a house being brought down talking about a magnet. And those must have been some stuffy dudes in there, but... But that's what happened. And and, and the Prince of Wales was in there, and he rose to propose a motion of appreciation. That just simply means that he loved it so much that he was calling for an encore. And he was, by by standing and clapping and others, they followed suit with the Prince of Wales. And it was a renewed applause that swept through the assembly. Well, people turned expectantly to hear the famous Michael Faraday, the scientist, respond especially in light of the initiative taken by the Prince of Wales in this uh, uh, encore that he's calling for. And when they turned to see what Michael Faraday would say, he wasn't there. The lecturer had left. The reason is what caught my interest It was prayer meeting night at his little church. Michael Faraday gathered weekly with a handful of people. His weekly prayer meeting took precedence because he was meeting with the king of kings and he said that was of more importance than the prince of Wales or any other king. Maybe that's why we don't know him as well as we do Albert Einstein. And I'll tell you, if you don't know him, God Almighty did. Why? Because he made attending church to be a big deal. When we worship together each week, there are important things happening. One is we're united around the shared truth of our faith in Christ. Ephesians chapter four, verse four through six says there's one body, one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father over all who is above all and through all and in you all. Isn't that, to me, that's so refreshing. The emphasis on the one, one body, one spirit. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. And yet we live in a day today where we think of church to be even more varieties than Baskin and Robbins. And we have so many excuses and so many different ideas and what church means to you doesn't have to be what it means to me. And Paul is telling us 2,000 years later, they're going to come up with all kinds of duplistic ideas and thoughts. But Paul was reminding the church of Ephesus, no, it's just one Lord. No, it's just one way. It's just one Holy Spirit. It's just one faith. It's just one baptism. You say, you're not going to say it's just one church. Yeah, it's just one church. Yeah, it's the church that Jesus started. Yeah. See, we become unified by being together on a regular basis in worship. Now, unity is not a universal sameness or uniformity. Ephesians 4 and verse 7 goes on to say, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. See, the Holy Spirit is building us up into one body that has many members, each with its own unique and important role in building up the church and accomplishing the mission that God has entrusted us with. And a few verses later, in Ephesians 4, verse 11 and 12, he tells us why he's given leadership, spiritual leadership, such as the evangelist and pastor, teacher. And he says in verse number 4, it's for the perfecting of the saints. That means the equipping of the saints. Why? Why do the saints need to be equipped? So that the saints can do the work of the ministry. See, with Christ as our head, the whole body of the church can work together to grow so that it builds itself up in love by coming together. God builds us up and uses each member, each member of the body to build up others into Christian maturity. Christian stability and mutual love. So many great things are happening when we come together. God's word comes alive. God's word speaks to us through the teaching, through the encouragement, through the preaching, through the singing that we offer to the Lord. Colossians 3 and verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. See, when we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, our gratitude for the Lord grows. And we have a chance to express that to each other. When we see these immense benefits of what happens when we come together We can also, I think, understand maybe a little bit more why there's warning in the Bible in Hebrews chapter number 10 of not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Why is it that he warned, don't forsake? Don't eliminate this spiritual habit and discipline from your life. Well... One reason is perhaps already 2,000 years ago, some were already neglecting this spiritual discipline. God's Word is teaching us that this bad habit of neglecting the assembling together with your church family, it's a big deal. It is our weekly encouragement. And focus on eternal things that really help us live well as disciples throughout the week. You know what our ultimate goal is in our weekly worship. It's not that we just clock in a couple of hours, two, three hours or whatever a week. No, the ultimate goal in our weekly attendance is that it would fundamentally shape us. Think about Romans 12, 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren. Paul says, I implore, I beg you by the mercies based upon the mercies of almighty God. That ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now get this. The goal is not to make sacrifices. Sacrifices. Our goal in coming is not to make sacrifices. Our goal in weekly attendance is that you would become a sacrifice. That is what ought to drive us in our weekly habit of coming together to worship. Now, let me say this too it's okay to admit, it's okay to admit that it's not always easy to get to church. Sometimes say, half joking, that Satan only attacks on Sunday morning when you're trying to get to church. When Sunday rolls around, you feel all the aches and pains of all the week. You're busy, you're exhausted, and you're worn out. Maybe you feel it more on Sunday than you do any other day. Staying in bed might sound more attractive than getting out of bed and going to see a bunch of people. The church is messy, it's imperfect, it's full of sinners but it's always been that way and it always will be until Jesus Christ comes. But likely anything that's worth doing is going to be hard at times. It'll require commitment and love and forgiveness, understanding and forbearance. And what I've learned though is that this, this has a unique dynamic to it and that God has promised to meet with us here, yeah, yeah, right. unlike meeting with us any other way. That's right. That's right. Oh, he'll meet with you personally. But Jesus was very careful to say, where two or more are gathered together, there I am. Does that mean he's not with me when I'm by myself? No, he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But he says, I'm going to manifest my presence and you're going to have a dividend and a benefit and you're going to experience a supernatural divine blessing that you would never experience on your own in my presence. There's something about coming together in the assembled body of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when we meet together, he recharges us in ways that we cannot explain or describe. There are many challenges to practicing the habit of weekly worship. But I think the best way is to think about this is first to see what God says about this and to establish that this is essential and this is vital for me and that it will build up my life in Christ. And when you do that, you're going to get much more out of this. And in turn, you're going to become a blessing to those around you. Now, let's look at Hebrews chapter number 10. Notice in verse number 22. Notice, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us... Consider one another to provoke and to love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Notice verse 22, verse 23, and 24, three times he says, let us. Now this is one of the times you don't want to say, hold the lettuce," because let us is very important right here. Let us draw near, verse 22, let us Hold fast, verse 23. Let us consider one another, verse 24. And in these three verses, we have capsulated why we need to come to church, to a corporate worship service. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, revival meeting, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, Opsat, men's prayer, whatever the assembling might be. Because public worship, Worship gathering together is not incidental to the success of your Christian life. It's fundamental. It's not just a privilege that we're here, but it is to be a priority that we're here. I'm going to give you three thoughts here. Number one, you still with me? All that was the introduction. Now, what that means is we're going to be here until two o'clock or... This will go by fast. Time will tell. Number one. We should go to church. Verse 22. Let us draw near. Number one. To enjoy the Savior. We come so we can enjoy Jesus. Now you do not come to church primarily to hear a sermon. Though I hope you will listen. I've come to preach and you've come to listen. Don't get done listening before I'm done preaching. But you don't primarily come just to hear a sermon. The book of Hebrews is obviously written to Hebrews, written to Jews. They would have been familiar with the tabernacle and the temple. Remember the tabernacle and the temple. Tabernacle was first, then the temple later. There were three basic rooms. There was the outer court. There was the inner court. And then in that innermost court called the inner sanctum was the, also known as the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies was the place where the Shekinah glory of God dwelt. And that Holy of Holies was separated from another chamber called the Holy Place. And that was separated by a veil. That veil in the Old Testament was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, the scripture says, his flesh. Now, John Phillips, in one of his books, he gave an interesting story. I'm going to try to summarize it. He says, Imagine a man coming from Moab. He comes to the tabernacle out there in the wilderness, and he says to a Jewish man who's standing out there, hey, I doubt he would say, hey, but he would say, What is that tent? What what what, what what's that tent with the fence around it? And the Jew would say, oh, that's where we worship God. Well, he said, I'd like to go in there. And the Jewish man would say, well, you can't go in there. That's just for the people of God. Well, what should I do to be able to go in there? Well, you'd have to be born again an Israelite. Well, the man from Moab would say, if I were an Israelite, I'd go in there. And that's there then a second room I want to go in there. He said, Oh, no, no, no. You, you, you won't go in there. Even into that second space, even if you became an Israelite, could get in. You can't go into that second room unless you're a priest. You'd have to be of the house of Levi to go into that second place, to the holy place. The Moab, Moabite would say, Well, all right. If I could go in that holy place, I believe I'd also go in that third place. I'd go in that third place behind that veil, that veil of white and purple and blue and red. You say, oh, no, no, you you couldn't go in there even if you were a priest. You could only go in there if you were a high priest. Well, if I were a high priest, I'd go in there and I'd hang out in there every single day. Oh, no, no, You, you, you wouldn't. You'd only go in there once A year. Now I want you to notice what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Look back at verse 22. I hope you're with me. I hope you're paying attention. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What is he saying to us? The writer of Hebrews is saying what that Moabite could not do out there in the wilderness looking at it from a distance and understanding what was on the inside and imagining what he would like to do and what the Israelite is telling him he can't do and what the Israelite himself couldn't do and what the priest couldn't do and what the high priest could not do. The writer of Hebrews is saying... Let us all go in. Let us all go in. You go in every day. You have the privilege of doing what the high priest could only do once a year. Why? Because that was the requirement. And it was an offense If you you violated it, it would be one punishable by death. You don't get a second try at it. But because when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was split from the top to the bottom to make a way for the people of God to enter into that holy place. Now you may not understand it. You may not understand the privilege that you have. But I'm saying when we come to worship, we've come to draw near to go behind the veil. Look again, he says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us not just for the high priest through the veil, that is to say his flesh and having a high priest over us, over the house of God the whole household of God let us draw near that's what he's saying that's what he's reminding us of he's saying let's do it, let's do it together, let's enjoy the Savior together, let's go Go into the Holy of Holies together. And some of you, your wood is wet. Bunch of Yankees? You're either lost or you're a bunch of Yankees. How can you not get excited about the let us? No way in the world could anybody ever try to make an attempt to get into the Holy of Holies more than one time. Because he's dead. and God is saying, you come in, you live. Come, let's go, let's do it together. Why should we come to church? To enjoy the Savior. To enjoy Him. It's all right. Let's go to number two. Verse 23, he let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. He said, just in case you wonder, for he is faithful, that promise. Why is it we come to church, number one, to enjoy the Savior, number two, to express our salvation? Let us hold fast the profession of our salvation. That's what he's saying. I can tell this is going to cook like it did Wednesday night. Wednesday night's message was short and sweet. And some of you made it lengthy and, and um, well done. And so, oh, there's some preaching material in here. I'm just... I just thought I was going to cut. I told Brother Cherry I'm going to cut, 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 and, and give you the, the uh, Reader's Digest version. We, we ain't doing that, I, I can see. All right. Do you know that when you come to church, you ought to be aware that you're coming to make a profession of your faith? Amen. Did you know the very fact that you're here with your brothers and sisters in Christ, you ought to be professing your faith? That's what he says. Let us hold fast what we've been professing. Your attendance in this assembly this morning is your way of saying, I am still a believer. You know you can be saved and not be a believer. You can become a carcass in the wilderness, though you're saved on your way to heaven. You've lapsed into unbelief and you've chosen to go into a wilderness. You could. But when you come to church, it ought to be one of the things that's clear. It's saying, I'm still, I'm still a believer. I'm still professing. I'm still waving the flag of Jesus. Let me give you the background for this passage of scripture. Some people started out as Christians should. They got in, they're going to church. They thought they were Christians, but then after a while, when persecution got strong, and it just wasn't the popular thing to do, they had some doubts, and they drew back. They joined. They began to worship a while, while it was good, and and it was just the place to go. They assembled together with the believers, but then they stopped coming. That's why verse 25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Because some was dropping out. And so he says, I'm aware of this. And notice in verse 26. For if we sin willfully, after that we've received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Now what does it mean to sin willfully? It means to turn from Jesus. You cannot turn from Jesus and go back to the Old Testament like they were trying to do. He says there are no more sacrifices for sin. It's a done deal. It's finished. It's over. Well, these people, some of them started out professing to be Christians, and then they said, no, we're going back to the old way. How did they know? How did people know that they were going back to the old system? How would somebody in 2,000 years ago, how would somebody say, oh, you know, that guy, he's going back to the old system of living. How would they have known that? They stopped faithful attendance to the place where they were supposed to be. They willfully turned from Jesus and no doubt made some excuses I can now worship anyway. Don't, didn't you hear about when he came out of the grave? The, the, the uh, uh, veil was rent and we can do whatever we want to do. Attending the worship service is one of the ways of saying, I still believe. I still believe. You know, there are a lot of people who've joined Canaan who don't come anymore. Brother Jerry just found a couple of older uh, directories from downstairs. And some I had never seen, we never saw these until a couple of days ago. I didn't know Donnie Bryan actually had hair. There was, I'm looking at it, and he had more hair than, than Chris. And it was it's like, I didn't even recognize this guy. People who stopped coming, let me ask you a question. Do they lose their salvation? I will tell you a Bible principle But it's likely some of them never had it. Where do you get that from? Glad you asked. Look at Hebrews chapter number 10 and verse number 38. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. There are some who draw back to perdition. That means judgment. Now the writer of Hebrews is saying those of us who are still attending, we've not drawn back. We've not failed. We're going on. We're holding fast the profession of our faith. They assumed he's making an assumption in the New Testament times that if people ever stopped attending the worship service, that they had never been saved. That's the assumption. Because saved people ought to want to draw near and stay near the one that saved them. And the one who said, stop forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. So the assumption was, they must have never got in in the first place. John says, they went out from us because they were not of us. In other words, they may have made a profession, but they never had a possession. They might have prayed a prayer, but the prayer doesn't save anybody. Some of them prayed many prayers and got dunked many times. Some of them even taught. But Jesus says there's going to be some in Matthew 7, there's going to be some in that last day who are going to say, I prophesied in your name. I cast out demons in your name. I've done many wonderful works in your name. And yet Jesus is going to say, At that time, depart from me for I never knew you because a profession doesn't get you into heaven. The possession of the gift of eternal life Jesus Christ does. I'm just telling you when the prodigal son came out of that, that hog pen he came out realizing this is not the way I'm supposed to be living. I need to be at home under my father. And when the prodigal son, he got up, he left the hog pen and he went back to his father's house. What happened? He got cleaned up. He got new shoes and new robe and he got a new diet and they had a party being and fellowshipping, doing what ought to have been taking place in normal sonship living. But just imagine when the prodigal says, I shouldn't be in this hog pen. I don't belong this here. I'm going back to my father. Just suppose that one of the hogs says, can I go with you? And the prodigal says, well, sure. My daddy will take anybody and he's a good man. And the prodigal comes in and the mama says, uh, prodigal son, good to have you back. Who's your friend? And he says, well, this is Wilbur. And she says, is, is he a friend of yours? He's a friend of mine. Well, any friend of my son, he's welcome. They bring in the hog and they get him cleaned up, put on new new outfit. He gets cleaned up. He eats like a hog. And, and, and then they say it's time for bed. And the hog says, I'm looking for some mud. And they say, no, you sleep on the inside, clean sheets, sleep on the bed here. And he can do so. And there's going to come a point in time where he says, I'm out of place. In fact, Peter talks about the pig, the hog, the sow. And you clean them up, but you don't change the inside. In fact, the Bible talks about a dog. A dog who eats something that upsets its stomach and it regurgitates. And spits it up, throws it up. Looks like oatmeal. You look at it, you turn your head and look back and it's gone. Because the dog said, hmm, didn't even need a microwave for this one. Heated this thing up. I got to keep you here somehow. Get your mind off of lunch. I was talking about that one time and noticed someone had... Dry heaves. You know, there's nothing dry about dry heaves. I don't know why they call it that, but started gagging, and what happened? Somebody else saw him gagging, and 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 I had nothing to do with it at that point. It was like you seen the wave at the ball game. Have you ever seen a gag wave? (laughs) And that was it was quite interesting. we had it we when I traveled with Minutemen, we had the team captains, they would do different things and, and um Cafe Le Chou. Have I ever told you about that one? I have to tell you about that some other time, but um, it would be more of a Sunday night service, at least after you get in one meal. But um, but Dr. Jim finally banned it because too many students were throwing up during the skit. And they were actually throwing up during the skit. And it, it just it was a blast for a while, but It would give off a distinct odor that was not conducive to preaching after that, so we we, we stopped. But anyway, the, the hog has to go back to its what he is. Hebrews, Peter, John. They're simply saying when a person is loosey goosey with church and even stops, I was looking through the directory. And I was thinking, I, I, I've seen that person. I, I, they don't go to church anywhere. and They don't go to church anywhere. I, I, I know that. I, I've seen that person. They don't go to church. Oh, they've got a successful business. Oh, and this person makes a lot. Of, they don't go anywhere. Do you know why, what Hebrews and Peter and John are saying? If you can do that and be comfortable, it's because you've never been born again. Uh, let, me, let me help you on that because you die without Jesus you will have heard every gospel lesson you helped in Sunday school but you're going to die and go straight to a devil's burning hell for eternity and don't think it's going to be hotter for somebody on the other side of the world who hasn't heard Jesus' name it'll be hotter for the one who played the fool I am going to tell you why we should come to church We should come to enjoy the Savior. We should come because it expresses our salvation. I'm going to give you a third reason. And that is to encourage the saints. Verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke and to love and to good works. Do you know that we encourage one another when we come to church? I was at the uh, men's meeting uh, this weekend, and it was a good time. But I'll tell you what what I probably enjoyed the most was just seeing our men. Knowing the sacrifices, knowing their heart, that was a blessing to me. You know, when you come to church, it encourages. You know, there are people... They walk in the room, they just immediately brighten up the room. There are some others of you, when you leave the room, it brightens up. But either way, <laughs> there's a brightening factor there. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about one another. I've copied them down. Don't try to write them. You won't be able to. I'm going to go through it so fast. But there are Three times more than what I'm going to give you. John fourteen thirteen, wash one another's feet. Romans twelve ten, prefer one another. Romans twelve sixteen, be of the same mind one toward another. Romans fourteen thirteen, don't judge one another. James three eleven, do not speak evil one of another. Romans fourteen nineteen, edify one another. Romans fifteen seven, receive one another. Romans fifteen fourteen admonish one another. First Corinthians twelve twenty-five, care for one another. First Peter four and verse ten, minister gifts to one another. 1 Corinthians 16, 20, greet one another. Galatians 5, 13, serve one another. Galatians 6, 20, bear one another's burdens. Ephesians 5, 21, submit to one another. 1 Thessalonians 4, 18, comfort one another. Hebrews 3, 13, exhort one another. James 5, 16, confess your faults one to another. James 5, uh, 1 Peter 4 and verse number 9, use hospitality one to another. 1 John 1, 7, fellowship with one another. Do you think God might be trying to tell us something? I'm telling you, the Bible says we need one another. Notice what he says in verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. I tell you, it's been encouraging this morning. And just walking down the hall and and seeing people saying, I'm praying for you. It, it, meant, it meant the world to me, and, and it meant the world my wife hearing or the William yawn before I came in and preached said, I love you, Pastor. That encourages that, that does something to you. That means looking at you, pouting, and sticking your tongue out at me doesn't affect me because Brother William, he loves me, and he's bigger than you. And so that, 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 mean, that means a lot. And what it tells me is that you don't go to church simply to see what you can get out of it. Some of you have never texted me, and I'm not not asking for you to text me, but I am saying this. I've texted some of you, and I'm still waiting two years later for you to respond. I'm beginning to wonder how I can help you get saved. What's wrong with you? You say, well, preacher, you won't see me again. And you're explaining to everybody what? You're not to be here. To make sure I understand it. You're to be here to enjoy Jesus. Let us draw near. You're to be here to express your salvation. And you're to be here to encourage the saints. You don't go to church simply to get. If I hear one more time, I'm not going to that activity because I don't like that activity. Who, who, who gives a rip as to what you like? What about what you can put into it? But the reason why you don't have anything to put into it is because you may not have anything inside of you. You say, my granddad. I don't really care what your granddaddy thinks. I think God trumps your granddaddy and your great granddaddy and all of them put together. I told you if you would have gotten in on it a little bit sooner and would have been more participant, it would have helped. How do we encourage one another? Let me just mention a few. By your presence. You know what your presence says? God's important to me. You know what your presence says? My brothers and sisters are important to me. By your presence. Number two, by your praise. When you praise God, there's something electrifying. There's something contagious about praise. Number three, participate in the service. Sing, smile, smile. Pray, study, praise, testify, welcome, greet, hug, encourage, do something. You know, find a place to serve. Let me ask you, are you a member? If you're not, you need to figure out where you're going to be a member. You need to belong. And then if you belong, what's your place of service? I've seen this place with no one in here. And I have seen that the pews will stay down without anybody sitting on them. So that's not one of your areas of service to hold the pew down. It it can be something as simple as being a greeter, being out in the parking lot, answering the phone. I mean, there's a a lot of different things. That's all right. Brother Autry's went off yesterday sitting beside him. And people thought it was mine. (laughs) I've already thought through. If my phone ever goes off, I'm taking it out and I'm sliding it all the way through and let it ring going back. (laughs) I've already thought it through. (laughs) There's a lot of things you can do. You can help out in a kid's Sunday school class. Some of, you, some of you, 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 you have grandkids. You would be great with some of the little kids. And just You say, I, I can't teach. You don't have to teach. You can just be in there. Amen. You, you, you can, there's a lot of things. Have some, because what it does is it shifts the focus from me and my preferences. Because we live in a consumer society. And it changes that when, I'm, when I have a, a place of responsibility. It changes it to a team mindset. Now, let me, let me, let me, a few more things I got to give you here. You know, I, I read some years ago about a traveler in a French village. He, it was called, uh, Daubs is what, I, what I, I think, if I remember it right, D-O-U-B-S. He went there on a Sunday. And he saw a lot of people on a Sunday evening, if um, do we need somebody to help with that. Here, brother, I'll be glad to answer. I'll be glad to do so. I already said, no one is texting me be glad to help. He went there on a Sunday evening and saw people there hurrying to his church and and everyone's carrying lanterns and this was a church that was built in the 1500's so it was several hundred years old but they're all carrying lanterns and this guest was asking what's the significance of it and he said the architect, he built the building without any lights and they've not put any lights in it since then because the only lights in this church building would be the lights that people brought with them to church and he said if everybody's there with their lights. It's pretty bright, but if they don't come, it can be pretty dark. I thought that explains the way it is with our presence and the absence of our presence. Now let, me, let me give you this, and this is just practical thoughts. Let me give you seven practical thoughts. Number one, treat Sunday, treat Sunday as the first fruits of your time. Give God the first And your best. You know, the early church gathered, as we already mentioned, on the first day of the week and served as a testimony that honoring Christ for His work at Calvary was a priority to them. We get to spend the other six days divided up between careers and homes and hobbies. It seems fitting. It seems right to give the Lord His own day. Also consider this on Sunday. Give Him the whole day. Not just part of it. Number two. Make the decision about coming to church once. Not every week. The family who has to decide every week whether to go to church has already lost half the battle. Now you think it's easy for me because of what I do. But I did what number two says long before I was a preacher. See, there's a lot of things I've already made up my mind. If this is what the Bible says, this is what I should do. This is what we're going to do. So I don't have to make the decision when a crisis comes up. It's already been made. Every church has those members, you know, that are going to be there every time you go. And that's because they made the decision once And they settled it. The basic question is this. Are you going to be a faithful worshiper or not? Answering yes to that question answers a thousand other questions at the same time. It may not be easy. We never said it's going to be easy. But it is simple. Think about a a, a wedding. You, You hear me? It's just a great example. A wedding, it's easy and simple. I mean, it's easy in the fact that... Technically, all it is, is is this one, this one, and the, the covenant, the commitment, that covenant, and the pronouncement. It's simple. It's easy. But do you know that covenant, it's answered so many questions that could come up 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the road. Number three. Have a high threshold for missing. What will it take for you to miss? What level of discomfort or sickness? What relative or friend can displace your time with other believers worshiping him? If you have a low threshold, don't you think Satan can help you? Be honest about whether his day gets the short end of the stick when the schedule gets tight. Who do you feel should give up their time when you need more? It's also somewhat humorous to me how many people are too sick on Sunday, but not too sick on Monday. I'm saying decide to draw a threshold high enough that says God deserves your highest effort. Number four. Don't be casual. It is trendy these days to treat church like any other place we go. Yet it still makes a statement when we refuse to treat His presence too casually. Now I realize that our culture rarely dresses up for anything anymore. What better way in time to make a statement than to exhibit outwardly what you should, you should be feeling inwardly. In other words, this is a very special time. If it's not to you, it is to Him. Amen. Any church dress code should be whatever comes to mind. Listen to me. Any church dress code should be whatever comes to mind immediately after thinking, I'm going into the presence of God. Amen. Amen. And then you tell me what would be appropriate. We don't have a church. Required dress. God doesn't give brownie points for ties and skirts. No, he does not. But studies are numerous and undeniable that we treat something better the more effort we put into preparing for it. Consider this when it comes to the same as uh, bringing food and drinks into the auditorium. The focus is to be meant to be placed on feeding our souls, not our body. And our concentration and that of those around us can be hindered when we're munching on snacks and, and when we're doing things that because we've we just we, we've been taught maybe growing up or in other places that, you know, you just, you, you just ought to be able to, to lay back. It's not a ball game. We are coming to enjoy the presence of the Lord. We're coming to express the salvation that He purchased with this blood, and we're coming, we're we're coming to encourage other people. Amen. Another form of being casual, let me say this too, is getting up and leaving before the service is over. Amen. Now, while there are some Bible reasons occasionally, parents and everyone, we need to be very aware that standing up in a crowd of seated people is going to take the focus off of God and place it onto that person. Teach your kid to hold it. I'm thirsty. (laughs) Make them know what real thirst is then. Don't buy into that. I haven't seen anyone's face crack and bleed because of being parched. Don't buy into that. What, what we're saying is it's not as big of a deal as what pastor's making it to be. And I'm telling you, if, if it, it's a whole lot bigger deal than what I have made it out to. It's a whole lot bigger deal. Let me give you number five. Be on time. Are you habitually late? Their excuses always exist for being late, and there are always ways to be early. This can be a matter of prioritizing God's time. Being there ready and in your place when the first song starts is beneficial. It makes a statement to your family about what you find most important when you're on time. We have ladies, I've watched some of our ladies with some who have several children who constantly amaze me by getting everyone ready and to church on time every time. Then I've seen some when your kids are not with you because they're at grandparents or somewhere else you're still late. Number 6. Be open during the invitation. Every invitation, every invitation is an opportunity to respond to something God wants in your life. Some messages will leave you needing to correct something. Other messages will leave you needing to strengthen someone else. Some serve to confirm what is already living in in their heart and what God's doing. Ask God directly what your response should be. But assume, assume, assume that God will speak to you in every service. James tells us, we heard this this morning. In our men's time, he tells us of the danger of hearing without doing, and it's in in effect, it's deceiving ourselves. Enough invitations without some kind of response to God may make it hard to feel God or much conviction in the future. Number next, seven. Participate. Participate. Be a part of the service. When it's time to sing, join in. When it's time to give, do your part. When the preaching is going on, look at the one speaking, listen intently. I am, I'm still amused to go to a sporting event and see how much people pay to sit in the closest seats to the action, but then they go to God's house and find them crowding around the furthest seats away. Why don't you make a statement and develop a, a mentality that fills in the front seats and says to the visitors, we want to be as close to what's going on as possible. Amen. Amen. Number eight, on Sunday, your church needs to be the most coveted place in your community. We don't, I don't have it up there. I'm just, I can just keep going, but... It needs to be the most coveted place in your community. Anybody who knows you. It needs to be the center of truth, of divine presence wherever your church meets. It's infectious. And it ought to spread whenever it's a reality within the pew. It ought to then overflow and be a reality outside these walls. I think this community ought to be able to see that an independent Baptist church that's conservative, and it might be very conservative, not conservative in in terms of 20 years ago, but conservative in terms of 20 miles from us and 200 miles around. But we're not backwards and we're not boring. Someone says, I was at a boring worship service. You've never been in a worship service that is boring. You've never been in the presence of Jesus, and it'd be boring. In fact, it's where the action is. Let's stand together, please.